Hear the word of God. You have heard that it, is, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if, you're, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Least, least you, your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the, to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Pray with me. Father God, we praise your name for the capturing of the heart of Robert Green and the, and the placing on his heart and his mind these words that we're about to hear. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence to be with us, that we open our hearts and our ears to hear what you'd have for us to hear. In Jesus Christ, we thank you for, the, for your blood, your sacrifice that makes it possible for us to be reconciled. We consecrate this time to you. Use it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning, everybody. This morning and for October, it's reconsider. We're going to look at the words of Jesus that Van began to read or he read this morning. And we're going to continue looking at them over these weeks in what's called the Sermon on the Mound, the Talk on the Hill. And he said six times um, in this sermon, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so we're asking you to be open to what Jesus might want to say to you as you reconsider his work in your life and reconsider some things that can grab your heart or have a hold of your heart uh, even now. We live in a world where, do you think this is true? We live in a world where there's a lack of peace and a lot of anger. In 1867, a Swedish chemist Dr. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And the corollary to that, he invented working with different chemicals and cocktails and all, he invented not just dynamite, but lots of explosive capabilities that he, he would write decades later, the in, intention of his invention was that he would help humanity, the road of progress to move forward, that things would be blown up and so that roads could be paved and things could be built that we as a societies could, could move forward. But as you can guess, as you know, historically, looking back, the dynamite was used to make wars and kill lots of people. And Dr. Alfred Nobel was labeled at one point in his life, the merchant of death. And this was a serious point of sunken depression for him. So much so that he decided to donate a chunk of his large a fortune that he had amassed to giving away and acknowledging people that were promoting peace. Most of you know that the Nobel Peace Prize was established in his name and then annually awards people in five different fields, chemi uh, chemistry, physics, literature, medicine, and overall peace. So much sunk low in him thinking thinking about his reputation, thinking about how we turn against each other, thinking about a world with so little peace and so much anger that even what we use and what we invent to move us forward is used to pull us back and to take life. Instead of giving life and making it better, it takes life. We need change. Look, it's out there stuff, but it's in here stuff 
as well. And I hope you will with me. Hope we'll, we'll get there. So let me ask you, I did this at the early service this morning. What is your relationship with anger? And let me try to minister to everybody in the room real quick. This is a blanket, but I hope it blesses somebody. This is a sermon if you would just be gracious to the people you're sitting with. Now, if you don't know the people you're sitting with, and just look at them right now and just look at them and go, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But if you're sitting with someone you love and you live with them, would you be gracious today? You know, the scripture teaches us that as we follow Jesus, we're to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. We're to bear one another's burdens. And this may be a topic today that Jesus addresses that's just one of those sins for the person next to you. But look, you got it in you. But maybe today the biggest thing, biggest takeaway could could be you being a blessing and lifting the burden and helping someone move forward um, in their own life. What's your relationship? That's the question. What's your, your relationship with anger. How would you characterize it um, this morning? Um, I've seen some of y'all drive. Can I just say that? I probably need to repeat that more often. I've seen some of y'all drive out of the parking lot. I had a, a, one of the pastor's wives said, Robert, I would never put a Fondren Church bumper sticker on my car. You wouldn't want me to because of the way I drive. And I agree with her. I think she's being wise about that part. Uh, road rage, the experts are studying it. There's people in Australia. Australia is the leading country in the world in studying the psychology of road rage. They're actually considered, I don't think they'll get there as I studied it this week, but they're actually thinking that they should apply not just an age requirement and a competency requirement, but a personality requirement because some people may not have the personality to operate a motor vehicle. Verbal uh, road rage is this, verbal insults and threats, yelling and honking, rude and offensive gestures, cursing, throwing objects. That makes me curious. Aggressive and dangerous driving methods, including blocking, ramming, sideswiping, or forcing another driver off the road. That would be funny, except it's not. What's your relationship with anger? I just finished a book uh, this week called A Time to Build. And in this book, it's not a Christian book, but it sure has spoken to this pastor's heart and mind. And he says this, talking about our media, our social media, all of us probably have some relationship. The more you're on social media, the more you're prone to depression. Our media platforms have undercut our social lives. They plainly encourage the vices most dangerous to a free society. They drive us to speak instead of listening, to approach others confrontationally, not graciously, to spread conspiracies and rumors, to dismiss what we would rather not hear, to make the private public, to oversimplify a complex world, to react to one another much too quickly and curtly. They eat away at our capacity for patient toleration, our decorum, forbearance, and restraint. They cause us to mistake expression for reflection, affirmation for respect, and reaction for responsibility. They grind down our democratic soul. We're an angry people. We're an angry people, and friends, I think it's only getting worse. We live in a world with a lack of peace and a lot of anger. What is your relationship with anger? Now, here's what I I can tell you for sure. We get angry when we don't get what we want. What's the source of most of your anger? It's a thwarted will. A thwarted will. We listen to the words. They're simple words, but follow me. I'm going to do voice inflection here. We get angry when we don't get our way. And in that truth, think about the last time that you went off or you had something simmering below, however you express your anger, we get angry when we don't get our way. Now, I want to get my way. Don't you want to get your way? Let's be honest. It probably starts with that whole reality. 
I want to get my way. I got a little kingdom. It's the kingdom of Robert Greene. My kingdom kind of clashes sometimes with y'all's kingdom. If we're not careful, we only want to put people around us who can enhance our kingdom and at the expense of, of, of sacrifice of your kingdom. And, and look, when I, I want to get what I want to get. I want to live in a perfect world. That, that's, that's in us all. We want things to be perfect. What would a perfect world be? I've thought about it. Uh, a perfect world for me, Fondren Church, would be in Maui. Well, I could consume, you could consume all the Krispy Kremes you wanted without gaining a pound. In a perfect world, you would not have fought on the way to church. In a perfect world, families would be happy and divorce would be unthinkable. In a perfect world of great peace, then there wouldn't be things like terrorism and trafficking. It wouldn't even be in our vocabulary. In a perfect world, Wall Street greed would be replaced by Main Street generosity. In a perfect world, you and I would... We would get what we want, but we don't. And sometimes we get in the way of each other getting what we, not getting what we don't want. And so this morning, think about your will as being thwarted. Show me an angry person and I will show you a hurt person. And show me a hurt person and I will show you someone who's had something taken from them. Anger says you owe me. Anger says you owe me. You took my innocence. You robbed me of this relationship. You stole my future. Therefore, you owe me. You owe me a second chance. You owe me an opportunity. You owe me money. You owe me restitution. You owe me affection because you have taken something from me. And with tenderness, I say this, but preaching the word and following Jesus There have been times in my life in ministry, I've had it directed toward me and I've had the opportunity to ask others of you. But at at what point, when, when will you get over your anger? When will you get past the person who has hurt you? And while it is true, you cannot undo what has been done. It is equally true that your past does not have to control your future. And I know there's going to be some pushback. I know that I could be dismissed as being insensitive because of the depth of your pain. But I just want to say Jesus transcends it all. Any hurt, God's help is greater. And the hurt could be real. The hurt could, is, is very real. But God's help, his healing is greater than that. Science tells us that at least seven things happen inside of you when you get angry. Your blood pressure rises. Extra sugar, blood sugar is pushed around your body. The blood itself, more of it goes into your brain. Your breathing speeds up. Muscle tension elevates. Perspiration increases. Pupils dilate. At least those seven things happen inside of you as you get angry. Scripture tells us specifically in Proverbs that ten things can be a result Uh, for the angry person. When you begin to uh, feel the anger and express the anger, you can stir up conflict. You can cause trouble. You can create quarrels. Um, You can promote a lack of peace. You can alienate loved ones. You can be ensnared in it. And so we come to Jesus' teaching today, I hope humbly, and we hear these words that are hard words. I don't know if anybody furrowed your brow or grimaced at all when Van first read these words, but I mean, Jesus drops it hard, doesn't he? He drops it pretty heavy but because he wants to get deep inside of you. And it's not just reconsider. It's a renovation of your imagination. Would you today 
over these weeks, today now, right now, begin to think about your life in relation to what Jesus is teaching. And would you be willing to think anew? For example, today, if you're an angry person, would you be willing for Jesus to do a renovation of your imagination? Would, could, you, could you think about a different, a, a before and after, something, uh, someone different than you are today? Because he can do it. Think about shows like Flipper, Flipper Flop or um, Trading Spaces or uh, Design on a Dime or all these shows that you see on uh, HDTV. I, I watch those shows. I don't even have to have Susan in the room. I'm just being honest. I like to watch those shows. Once you watch about three of them, it's kind of ad nauseum. But I love the idea. And you know where they're going. They're going to knock down that wall. Y'all know I love some demo. I love to do it at the church. God's called me to knock down some of these walls. Uh, righteous anger. But, it, but demo is so good and it's 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 it's. It's therapy, isn't it? But it's just good. You know what? They're, they're going to knock down some walls. They're going to open it up for an open floor plan. They're going to put some tile splash on the back. They're going to shiny hardwood. You know, you know the Viking range. They're going to do these things in all these houses. And it's, it, it's honestly cool, isn't it? The renovation because they didn't like it. It was dark and dilapidated. It was, you know, it, it, it passed its prime. Oh, and they envisioned something different. So from conception to completion, you see something beautiful that has emerged. And that can be, that can be you. That can be you today, even in this reality, this topic that can be so hard and so shaming for so many of us. So I want to give you three priorities that Jesus gives. First of all, let's look at this passage that Van read again. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, again, this is one of six that he gives on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you get a chance in your lifetime, go, you won't regret it. There's uh, some things we don't know about the Holy Land, but you can sit in the vicinity where this sermon is delivered. It's not so much a mountain as it is a gentle slope. And on the gentle slope, that just wouldn't sound good, right? The sermon on the gentle slope. But uh, Jesus says this, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Everybody, everybody good with that? I mean, come on, you murder, lock them up. If you found out between this Sunday and next Sunday that I'd murdered, you'd, you'd, y'all chant from the balcony, lock him up, lock him up. If you're, if, if you're guilty of murder, then you're liable to judgment. Now it gets weird. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool or raka, we'll say, talk about that in a minute, you will be liable to the hell of fire. I want to give you three matters uh, that, uh, that Jesus talks about in this portion of the sermon on the gentle slope. He says this, it's a matter of the heart. Translation here, raka, this word here that we don't use, it's actually, I've studied that scholars uh, believe that it's kind of a word that's not even a word. It refers to what's in the back of your throat when you are clearing it, and it's kind of like spittle or spit or whatever, and it's when you have contempt for another person. Hear me now. It's when you have contempt for somebody else. And Jesus is saying, don't let it happen. Listen to me. We have a heavenly Father. And if you're in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And whether you're in a church family or not, everybody's been created in the image of God and every life is valuable to him. And Jesus is saying, man, don't look down on someone with contempt. And so picture it as a tree. Here is a tree. And you think of, this is something I drew this morning before church, but this tree that I drew, you see above, the tree above is what we see. The branches and the trunk and the leaves and the fruit are on many trees and then below the tree what the seeds and the root system and 
Jesus is teaching here. If you were to draw on this, I didn't have time this morning, but you write murder above. So murder is what we see. Murder is above the ground. And then below the ground, write the two words, simmering contempt. And murder is when we say, um, you are done. You're done. But simmering contempt is when we say, we are done. It's when there's a riff or a rupture in a relationship and that person becomes no one to you. They're spittle to you. And you don't end their life, but you end your life with them. And you say, we are done. And Jesus gives us this matter of the heart. And he says this. Now, just just to be clear. Jesus is not saying this. He's not saying that if you harbor hatred in your heart, that's equal to murder. Okay? So, like, don't go murder. Hopefully nobody has murdered. If you come and confess to me that you've murdered, I will love you and pray for you, and I'll have to call the authorities. Like, it's a serious deal. Don't murder. But Jesus is saying that there's something that we all deal with. It's this universal need, this universal recognition that we have something in here that's sick. And we all need help. We need a savior. We need, we need a friend who loves our soul. And we need a surgeon with a scalpel who can heal our heart. There was a book written years ago. I read it years ago and can't recall a lot of it. But it was called Respectable Sins. And I love the premise of the book. I remember that. It said, you know, hey, murder. Don't, don't murder check. Don't steal check. Don't commit adultery check. A lot of us can check those boxes probably. But judgment selfishness pride bitterness self-righteousness anger how do we do in checking those boxes and jesus cares about your heart he cares about the deepest part of you and it's only getting worse in their day it was very religious and it was about giving and praying and fasting and they didn't have paper money they had coins with the they'd have online giving they, had, they just passed the plate and, or they came to the temple to offer and they dropped in coins. And so you could tell who the givers were and who weren't the givers. And there was an image conscious society, but how much more for you and I to worry about only the trunk and the branches and the leaves and the fruit, but not the seeds and the soil. And it is the, it's the seeds that started everything and it's the, the root system that allow it to grow. And so it is with you and that's your heart. Later in Matthew, Jesus would say in Matthew 15, one quoting from the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years ahead of him, he would say, these people honor me with their lips, but what? Anybody know? But their heart is far from me. Y'all are so, some of y'all know that. Y'all were just so wrong of, you know, so, so worried about getting it wrong in church. But they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You ever done that? Ever done a little religious show? Ever told somebody you're praying for them or requested prayer or came to a religious service or observance or did something that seemed spiritual but your, your heart wasn't in it? And Jesus said, be very careful of this. You think, the religious people back then, you think it's the ceremonial cleansing and the washing of the hands, but Matthew 15 verses 18 and following, it's what's from, from the, that doesn't defile you. Now, Jesus is not against cleanliness, by the way, but he's saying that stuff really doesn't matter like this stuff. And it's the deepest part of you that he wants to attend to. So today, how's your heart? And will you be honest about any simmering content that you have 
for another. It's a matter of the heart. The second point, it's a matter of priority. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, he said this. So if you are offering, it gets interesting here. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Emmy, if we could leave that up. Pretend that you circle in the last verse there, the last sentence. You circle the word first and then zip over down and then circle the word then because there's a sequence here. First, then. Any of y'all lead like that, teach like that, parent like that? Hey, first and then because they're going to the then. You're like, no, 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 no. First, then. Uh, 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 first. And that's what Jesus, probably not, he's probably without the eh, eh, eh. Susan does that to my dog all the time. Kills me. But first, then. First, do this, then. And stay with me for a second. If you get in this idea here, this passage, if you enter into it, Jesus is saying, man, we're distracted people. You know, you can come to, you can attend the temple. You can attend a religious service and you can remember something. And y'all know this. I mean, it's kind of, you know, how I make a living, but I hate distractions. And, you know, when someone gets up, it's not, I'm not judging the person getting up, but all y'all look at the person getting up. And so it's a distraction. Like you come and you remember something. And so like, I love what Jesus is saying. And I think we ought to apply it, but maybe not here or not when I'm preaching or something. But for real, you can worship and then you can remember something. And for real, I told the 930 this several years back. I'll always remember this. There was a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who was sitting back uh, here and he got up during the sermon, and I don't know if y'all know this, but I can see y'all when I'm preaching, okay? Just so you know, like, I can see y'all. I'm looking. I may not lock eyes with you, all right? Like, I'm Shelton Bounds. I'm looking at you in the eyes right now. But everybody, I can see everybody, whether it's a not-so-distant figure or whatever, but I can see you. And my friend, I noticed, got up, and he went into the, into the foyer, and the door was open. Half the door was open, and he got out his phone, and he was texting somebody. And I thought, this, you know, rude, rude. Make sure he doesn't ever get to be a deacon or elder at this church and uh make we didn't cancel people like we did now back then but I should have I thought about canceling and I just didn't have the words for it but anyway but later I learned later I learned that he had come to worship and he remembered and my friend got it we weren't preaching Matthew 5 then but he got up and just led by the spirit I believe he went to and and he texted a friend and said man this happened and I didn't handle it. I want to own my part and we need to talk. And he sent the text and he, his story is he was free. I don't, I don't even think he knew the verse. And he came back and sat down and hear me now. That's what Jesus is talking about. Stay seated. But that's what Jesus is talking about. That you come to worship and then you remember because first then now in then let's go let's go down the gentle slope from the mountain uh to the down into the the temple and this is a rendering of the temple it's kind of blurry again I drew it this morning but uh, it's that's where that was the center that was the court that was the expression of religious devotion and in Jesus's day I love how he moves the ball forward but in Jesus' day, there was a religion of sacrificial, uh, of a sacrificial nature. And there were lambs and doves and rams and other animals that were offered. I think you're probably all aware of that. So you could look and go, okay, well, we don't, 
We don't do that in our day. But what do we offer? Uh, Take a look, a few photos. We offer sacrifices. In fact, in Romans uh, chapter 12, it says that we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice. So here are uh, photos that would capture maybe how you sacrifice. Uh, Hey, preacher, I give. When the plate comes around or, you know, if you don't see me giving, it's because I gave online. Here's my folded hands. These hands are praying to God and ready to serve, ready to wash feet, ready to love and bless. And here's an open Bible. It's when I gather. It's my, it's my time of quiet devotion. It's my time at church when we open up the word and hear it preached. And this is my sacrifice. And it's easy for us, even though we're not coming to an altar and offering lambs or whatever. And Jesus, to what he said to his hearers back then was, leave the lamb, exit the temple, and go to the person. Three points. Leave the lamb, exit the temple, and go to the person. What about, what, what about, what about, what about first then? first then and we want the then and Jesus says this thing about anger y'all this thing about a rift or a rupture in a relationship that you've done nothing to reconcile is a big deal and so can I say that reconciling a broken relationship is a higher priority than to Jesus than doing a religious thing now you know I want you to give and you know I want you to serve and you know I want you to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God. You know I want you to come and focus, and to offer sacrifice. But I want to say it again. Reconciling a broken relationship is a higher priority to Jesus than doing religious acts. First, then. Have you done what you can do? Make it a priority. Now, leaning on you a little bit, knowing that this could be sort of explosive or problematic, I I get that. But Psalm 66, he declared, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How's your heart? Is it a matter of priority in your life? 1 Peter 3, listen to me, married men, if we don't treat our wives and live with them in an understanding way, just quoting the word here, then our prayers will be hindered. You need to feel that weight. I feel that weight. It matters how I treat her. It matters always. Tony Evans is a pastor that um, I, I've admired for decades. He brings the word. And Tony Evans wrote a book years ago called Horizontal Jesus, and I just love that. Because we always think Jesus, you know, this. And I can do this. Man, I give, I give, I serve, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm this. But there's a rift, there's a rupture, and you've done nothing to reconcile. Look, Jesus is horizontal Jesus. If there's any confusion, he's going to go on in Matthew after the sermon on the gentle slope, and he's going to tell us, hey, as you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Jesus, can I just say it, is very horizontal. And if this ain't right, and if you're not doing what you can do to make this right, then this isn't right, according to Jesus. And so it's a matter of the heart, and it's a matter of priority. And I've kind of, uh, this kind of strange but it may be cathartic for me and weird for you, but I've kind of been viewing the world through the whole like who waves and who doesn't wave. So when I walk through the neighborhood, you know, keep fonder and funky. I love our neighborhood. So I'll walk to to church on Sunday or sometimes to my office or just walking around, running, doing whatever. And I I like to wave. I I like to wave to people. And you know, a lot of people don't wave. In fact, most people don't wave. Now, is it me? Is it me? I don't know. I think it's them. But anyway, people don't wave. Anybody else? And so I'm just like, and, and I remember months ago, I was like, you know, because it's awkward. You ever done that? You're like, that hurts. I mean, it's like, mm. 
And it, it just doesn't feel good. And I'm not the only one. Come on. And so then, so then I, I got hard. I'm like, you know, I, oh, that's it. If over half the people are going to wave at me, I'm, I'm not going to wave at anybody unless they go to my church. But I'm not, I'm not waving. And then I thought, no, I'm not gonna, I can't let people bring me down. I'm, I'm a waver. God's called me to wave. And I'm going to wave. And then I just released it. I said, Jesus, you got to help. If you want me to wave at people, you got to, you got to release this in me, this whole security thing. Like, let me, let me seek it from you. So now I'm just like, you know, it's, it, they didn't wave back. That's on them. They got issues. God will take care of them. Something's up with them. But here's my point. I'm being silly, but now I'm going to try to be serious. You cannot, because you can hear this sermon, they go, a preacher, you know, this riff, this rupture you're talking about with your cute little alliteration or whatever. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I can't, I try to, it's not on you. I can't get people to wave at me, force them to wave at me, and I wouldn't want to. And you can't let how another person will respond to you affect you like that. You do your part because Jesus is a horizontal Jesus. Make it a matter of your heart, a matter of priority, and lastly, a matter of urgency. Did y'all hear what Van read, what Jesus said? Matthew 5, 25, he said this, he goes to the courtroom, but he said this, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Don't have time for it today, but man, there was something called debtor's prison back then. Brutal. You don't want debtor's prison. Nobody wants prison. And look, don't we all want to handle things outside of court? Do you know what that, the church should be? You can read in Corinthians because in Corinth they start having trouble. Anytime you get people together, even if they're Christian people, there's going to be problems because we're sinful. Everybody understand? And they're like, don't, here's what, there was instruction about litigation, about, about the court. Handle it out. We, we've, we do it here. We try it here. We try in the spirit of Galatians 6 to reconcile relationships, to help each other. When someone has been, James chapter 5, when someone is out, to woo them back, to win them back, to restore them to help with families and all this. And sometimes God just, it just works. And it, there's a miracle. And there are times painfully we've seen, uh, we've seen the gavel. We've seen, we've seen it come to court. We've seen a judge. We've seen it go down that way. But let me say this. It's not just a matter of priority. It's a matter of urgency. And here's the thing that's kind of getting the best of me with the pandemic, you know, there's just like urgency doesn't exist, does it? It's just hard. Like everything is just like a slog, you know, and it's understandable. I'm not, you know, I don't, nobody's asking me my opinion or I don't get to change anything here, but it's just a slog. And it's like, there's just so little urgency and we're just kind of, you know, and rightfully so in many ways, we got to be careful. We got to be distant. We got to be cautious. We got to be, you know, we're not the same as we were and we got to, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And it's just like, there's no urgency. And in the middle of this pandemic slog, can I just say, this is really a matter of urgency. Do this quickly. The long, this is true of anything in life. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. If you know someone, if you have a loved one, this is tender, but if someone with cancer, and maybe you've experienced this or heard this, and someone will say, hey, we're praying for you, we love you, we're going to be there for you. And that person on the other end says, thank you. This is hard. But I'm glad we caught it early. Because that can be, in so many ways, that can be the difference. And this sickness in you, 
and me, this sickness of our soul, the ruptures in our relationships, look, it is better to detect it early and to, do, to go about it quickly. So murder, don't murder, check. But what about the simmering contempt inside of you? Would you let him work on you? Would you let him do a deep work in you? We're going to ask the team if they would begin make their way as we sing and take up offering and have a time of prayer. In the first service, we had a great honor to pray over people about a need in their life, be it this need that we've talked about today or anything. It's just been a cool morning in here. And we're, we're going to extend this to you in just a moment. When it comes to anger, we all have a relationship with anger. Everybody does. And can I just say, I don't want to let anybody off the hook. If you live your life with a calm demeanor, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have anger. And we've borrowed this from a writer we admire years ago. It's helped us in our marriage. And it helps us as we walk with friends, hold hands with them in a difficult season of their own marriage. But they're bottlers and they're spewers. And some of you bottle your anger up. Some of you hold it in. You remain calm. You try to. You bottle it up. That's my wife more times than not. I don't have to tell you. I'm a spewer. Just let her let it roll. And God's been gracious to us as we've walked together and extended grace to each other and how we express or don't express simmering stuff inside of us. Tim McGraw sang a song from Charlie Robinson. A few of you are going to recognize it, but he's saying, well, I don't know why you have to be angry all the time. It's kind of a little joke around our house and Susan will be miffed at me about something usually for good reason and I'll come up behind her and just in her ear I'm like I don't know why you gotta be angry all the time and she likes it country twang it diffuses the situation but some of you are angry all the time would you let him do a hard work the voice of the Savior, though it be from a broken vessel like me today, the voice of the Savior is conviction. So let it fall. The voice of the enemy is condemnation. And don't let it enter in. So would you stand and would you today, I'm going to pray over you for, for a renovation of imagination. That you would think how your life could be new. What needs to be knocked down in your heart could be could be. A, be made better that's the work he can do and look I told you one story of a friend of mine I've seen a few more because men we have a unique relationship with anger and I've seen some brothers in Christ do business with God and it's a joy to see because others are affected by it pray with me father thanks for this morning Thank you that you don't let us off the hook and that we don't like it and we don't do well with it, but you have, you've given us a word that ultimately is a love letter and it's a story of a creation and a fall and a redemption 
of living in a land between now and not yet, one that hurts, where we, we want shalom, we want peace, but there's so much anger. And there's not just anger out there in road rage and air rage. There's anger in here. And it's within us. And Lord, we are guilty. I have been too many times in my own life guilty of simmering contempt. And you don't let me off the hook because I haven't murdered anybody. And there is judgment. And Lord, all of us need these things named like you do in Matthew 15. Just the, it's not what's on the hands that defiles. It's what comes out of the heart and it leads to all this evil. God, would you help us let you in and yield and surrender to your Spirit's work in us. We don't want our anger. We want peace. And what I love about this sermon is that it's not just, it's not a self-help thing. It's not just motivational, don't be angry. You attach it to other people. You attach it to us and you don't want us to be angry because every life, you are serious about every single life being valuable. Oh, God, give it to us. In Jesus, we pray. God, would you bless these tithes and offerings? In you, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing now and the altar is going to be open. You can come and pray today. Don't worry about being seen by other people. You're not going to be shown on the camera. I'm going to turn this microphone on. We'll have another pastor here. Would you give us the honor of praying over you today? I'll stand and look silly. I'm facing y'all, but I would love an honor, just the honor to pray over anybody today, any need in the house, any blessing, anything you're rejoicing in, any need you have, anything that God has stirred up in you. Let's allow this. We're a little early on the clock, so let's allow this time to be a time of prayer. You come today.